Welcome to the weekly sermon at Gateway. My name is Jason McNabb. In the book of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul addresses serious problems in the church that we still deal with in our day. And through this series, we're also learning how we can live for Christ even as we're tempted to live for ourselves. You can find more information about this series at gatewaycrc.org. And now here's this week's message. Good morning. My name is Chris Marheis. My husband Jason, our family, and I have been at Gateway for 18 years. Jason and I are life group hosts, and I serve in the Summit Youth Ministry. Our text today is 1 Corinthians 16, verse 5 to 13. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while, or even spend the winter, so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord, just as I am. No one then should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace, so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Marcel Derecht, and I have the joy of opening up God's word with you today. Back in 2002, my wife Monica and I had the opportunity of leading a trip to the Philippines. And that was my fourth trip to the country at the time, and we kind of thought perhaps it was going to be my last time to this wonderful country. And every time that we would go to the country, we would have the privilege of working by the man named Norberto Furman, or as some of us know him better now, by his Christian name, which is Beloved in Christ, or he would like to say, Bad Joke. And if you know BJ, that's actually kind of funny. Over the 21 years, BJ and I have become pretty good friends, and some of you have met BJ when we were there last February, and Lord willing, many of you will meet BJ when we go there in February in 2024. But in 2022, or in 2020, um, as I was on my last trip to the, uh, the Philippines, we kind of thought it was going to be my last trip there. We didn't know what the Lord was going to bring down the road. And in the Filipino culture, BJ presented me with this particular necklace that I'm wearing this morning. In the Filipino culture, what BJ was doing, he was closing out our time together. He was giving a farewell ritual that became very meaningful to me and to my family. Significant in the Filipino culture, what he was doing. Because just before our arrival, a BJ was working on the island of Mindoro with the Mungian tribe. And before he left the tribal community, the tribal chief gave him this particular necklace. And this necklace to BJ represented two things. First of all, it represented this. That because BJ's time with the Mungian tribe was a blessing, their home has now become his home. He would be welcome to the Mungian tribe anytime he wished. And secondly, this necklace represented to BJ 
that a lifelong friendship has now been established between the tribal people and him. So when BJ presented me with his necklace and he hung it around my neck, he was saying two things. Number one is, we have now established a lifelong friendship, he and I. But secondly, he said, you are welcome back to my country anytime because my country is now your country. What a significant way of, of closing up our time together. Those final words of BJ, they stuck with me. I've shared them with my family often. Very memorable and very meaningful to this very day. So when we went back to the Philippines this last February, 21 years later, it was so good to see my friend BJ again and to, to step off the plane into Manila and to, to smell and feel the humid, dry, tropical air. It was kind of like a homecoming. You see, final words can be so significant. Final gestures that people do can be life-changing. Each one speaks huge to what has happened and can speak hugely to what will come moving forward. Think of a movie producer for a moment. How a movie producer wraps up a movie is so key, isn't it? They're either going to wrap it all up or they're going to leave a, a few things hanging that leads the viewer to think, maybe, just maybe, there's going to be a sequel. Or how somebody, a novelist, finishes up a book, that last chapter, those last few lines of a good book, oh, they can hang with you and you can, you can meditate and you can ponder those last few words for a long time. Or how a preacher, every good preacher knows that the closing lines of, every good, of a good sermon can make a sermon or break a sermon. Perhaps the most difficult lines to write, how you land a plane determines if it's a well-crafted sermon or not. And how one ends a letter to a church can be so significant. And Paul knew it. Paul knew it. And that's why today we cannot brush over chapter 16. That's why we have to take a good in-depth look at this final chapter of the book of Corinthians to help us understand what Paul was saying to the church then and what he might be saying to us today. So I want to say thank you to Chris Marheis for reading our verses this morning. So thank you for doing that. Have you ever been part of a difficult conversation in your life? Maybe you've had to sit down with somebody and have kind of a heart-to-heart -heart talk because they were dealing and you were kind of seeing in their life that they were kind of straying away. They were, they were a little messed up theologically, morally, perhaps even practically in life. Or perhaps you need to sit down with a son, a daughter, a brother, or sister because they're dealing with some sexual sin in their life. Or a fellow believer has done you wrong and, and all you want to do is you want to take them to court and you want to sue them, but yet you wrestle with it because you don't know, is it right, is it wrong, can I sue a brother in the Lord or can I not? So you stay up at night and you wrestle and you toss and you turn. Or you have that conversation with your children in the morning and what's appropriate for school, for dress. Does it fit the dress code or doesn't it fit the dress code for the school? And you, you wrestle with that with your children. You have to drop your children off at school knowing you just had an argument and you're feeling very frustrated because it didn't quite go the way that you were hoping. And then you have to talk about that, that conversation that everybody shies away from, but yet everybody is so eager to jump into the conversation. That's all about predestination. How is it all going to end? You know, if you've been part of these tough conversations, you know that they can be physically and emotionally draining. 
with some of these conversations. It's like you're, you're going in circles. You're not really gaining any traction. You're not really getting anywhere with the conversation. And sometimes you think, man, I'm making it. I'm making headway. My kids are starting to understand. And you say one thing just wrong and instantly, 10 steps back. Got to start all over again. 10 steps forward, two steps forward, 10 steps back. We've been there, haven't we? Tough conversations. It's a delicate balance between truth and grace, showing tough love while showing unconditional love. That's the tone in which Paul finishes up his letter to the Corinthian church. Paul just finished 15 chapters of tough love, 15 chapters of conversations dealing with the hard issues that the church was facing, and yet all the while doing it with tough love while showing unconditional love. And Paul didn't back down. He went to the very end, right to the last of his letter, till he picked up the pen himself, and he wrote in his very own handwriting the benediction of this letter. So let's take a closer look at this chapter, and Lord willing, perhaps we can learn some important truths of closing up this difficult letter. Because how Paul closes this letter, it tells us a lot about what has happened but it tells us all so much about what is going to happen moving forward. So if you have your Bibles open still or your Bible app open, take a closer look with me at verse 10 and 11. Here's the important truth that we need to learn from these two verses. It's this. Your past doesn't determine your effectiveness for the kingdom. Your past doesn't determine your effectiveness for the kingdom. All right, let's read these two verses. Verse 10, 11, it says, When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear. It's interesting. While he is with you for, he is carrying on the work of the Lord, just as I am. No one should treat him with contempt. <laughs> see him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. You ever wonder what's going on here? What does Timothy need to fear? Well, Timothy is a mamzer. He's a mamzer. Now that probably does not mean a whole lot to you right now, but in Timothy's day, that was a huge, huge deal. You see, a mamzer is a child that is born out of a sexual union that was banned by the Torah. Take a look for a moment in your life groups and read Leviticus 18. You will have a better understanding of this. In Timothy's case, he was not born out of incest, but he was born from a, from a child of a Jew and a Gentile. His father was Greek and his mother was Jewish. That was forbidden by the Torah. So right from birth, Timothy was shamed. He was looked down upon. He was a mamzer of all things. Now, if you're familiar with the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, it was the Samaritan who helped the young boy that was robbed of his possessions. And you can remember that the, the teacher of the law was rather shocked by it being a Samaritan. Have you ever wondered why? It's because the Samaritans were considered to be mamzerians. They were a half-breed people. They were considered to be lower than the dogs. That was Timothy. That was Timothy. 
to the Jews that he would encounter within the Corinthian church. His past was real. His identity was settled in their eyes. And yet Timothy was tremendously effective in the advancement of the kingdom of God. His past did not determine his effectiveness for the kingdom. Despite his past, Timothy joined Paul during one of his missionary journeys at a very young age. He was probably maybe 15, 16, mid-teens, and he joined Paul. They, they, at such a young age, he already was quite showing himself being quite faithful to the word of God. And the elders took notice of him. He became Paul's missionary companion with Silas. He joined Paul in many of the writings. He became the scribe and it was very instrumental in a lot of the writings that, that Paul did to the church. And Timothy, he grew in leadership. And then when Paul left on his fourth missionary journey, Paul left him in charge of the church of Ephesus. This is Timothy. This Timothy was a powerful agent for the advancement of the kingdom of God despite his past. His past did not stop him. His past did not stop Paul from providing him leadership within the body of Christ. His past did not stop God from using him to advance the kingdom. What a powerful lesson we can learn from Timothy. Just those two verses. Because our past, it will not stop God from using you or for using me for the advancement of the kingdom of God. So I ask you this morning, please, please, don't let your past stop you. Don't use your past as an excuse to not evangelize. Because it's not stopping God from wanting to use you. The question is, will you let him? Will you let him? The second truth that we can learn from Paul's closing up comments is this. When the going gets tough, don't run. When the going gets tough, don't run. If anyone could have thrown in the towel and call it quits, it would have been Paul towards the Corinthian church. Paul could have ran he could not have looked back, and nobody would have blamed him. It's kind of like those famous lines from the Forrest Gump mummy, run, Forrest, run, run, Paul, run, and don't look back. Because you see, the Corinthian church was dealing with issue after issue. It took us as a church eight months to work through the entire book, issue after issue that we had to deal with together as a church. The congregation was a carnal, sinful mess. It was struggling theologically, and, and Paul had to address it. Paul had to deal with division within the body of Christ. He had to correct them on their leniency against sexual immorality. Believers were taking fellow believers to court. He had to remind them of God's intent for marriage and the blessedness of singleness. And if that were not enough, Paul had to bring clarity on other issues of the faith, such as Christian liberties, attire in worship, Lord's Supper, speaking in tongues, and so on. And as soon as Paul finished dealing with one issue in the church, another issue reared its ugly little head, and Paul had to deal with it, and he goes head on. 
Paul did not run from the problems of the church. Instead, he ran into the problems with scripture in hand to deal with truth and grace, showing tough love while showing unconditional love to the church. Paul in verse five says this, I will come to you. In verse seven he says, I I wanna spend more time with you. In verse 10, he sends Timothy to the church. In verse 12, Paul encourages Apollos to visit the church and and he gives them direction to listen to the teachings of Stephanus. And he is thrilled when good things happen to the church. Verse 17, Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Archicaeus, they are coming to you and that refreshes my spirit, he says. It doesn't sound like a man that is running from the problems of the church, does it? See, Paul needs to be our example that when the going gets tough within the body of Christ, we don't run. Because here's the reality of the church. And I believe in your life groups you're going to be talking about this a little bit more. Here's the reality of the church. The church is a mess. Because it is filled with messy people. Because it is filled with a bunch of messy sinners who are in desperate need of a savior. That's the church. This is true for the church back in Paul's days, and it is most certainly true for the church of today. There is no perfect church because there are no perfect people. So the church, our church, or any church, is going to face its fair share of problems. It's going to face difficult conversations within its lifetime. It will struggle through the worship wars It will struggle through gender identity and sexual misunderstanding, broken marriages, and it is most certainly going to figure out how to deal with the poor. We will discuss the meaning of Scripture, and there are going to be times where we're going to have to agree to disagree in love. There are going to be times when we are going to be challenged with what the Word of God says, and we're not going to want to do it. We're going to struggle against it, and we're going to refuse to do it out of fear and out of pride. And the list is going to go on, as it did for the church of Corinth. But the question is this. What are you going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? Am I going to run? Are we going to pack our bags and find a church that perhaps isn't as messy Are we going to follow the example of Paul and and come with scripture in hand to deal with the issue at hand? Running and, and leaving doesn't solve anything. You know, maybe it's the easier path to take at the moment, but by no means is it the healthiest path for you or the church to take. Will we have the courage And ask myself, well, I have the courage to follow the Matthew 18 model for conflict. You know, there are times perhaps when leaving the church is best for both parties. And scripture talks about that. And I'd like to encourage you to explore that. But running, but running from the problem should never be our first gut reaction. So please, when the going gets tough, don't run. Please. Don't run. Stay. 
stick it out and let's wrestle through the uncomfortableness of the tough topics together. Let's learn from each other. And instead of running, let's live into Hebrews chapter 10. Here's what it says in Hebrews 10. It says this. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let's encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Please, don't run. Then the third lesson that we can learn from closing up, Paul's closing up statements is this. The church, it needs to wake up. The church needs to stand up. The church needs to grow up and the church needs to pray it up. Let's read verse 13 and 14 together. I want to invite you to read this with me. I believe it's going to be up on the screen. Let's read this together. It says, be on your guard. Say it with me. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be encouraged. Be strong. And do everything in love. Let's read it again one more time. Be on your guard. Stand firm. Five crystal clear commands given to the church. We need to remember that Paul's just finished giving instruction after instruction to the church. And like any preacher, he hopes it sticks. Paul prays that the Corinthian church will take his teachings to heart and the church will begin to making the needed changes for the betterment of the body of Christ. Verse 13 and 14 are the how of the letter. How are you going to make it stick, church? How are you going to follow through on the needed changes that are required for you to be a healthy church? Well, Paul says this. He says, wake up, church. Wake up. Be on your guard. Be watchful. Be vigilant. Stay awake spiritually. And watch out. Because the devil is in the sheep's clothing. The Corinthians church was the Las Vegas of today. Every temptation that the church and the individual Christian had was, was right at your fingertips. You didn't have to go far to find trouble. In fact, trouble found you. Trouble was everywhere. Danger was everywhere. In some seasons of life, the trouble and the danger was more severe than others. But in our world, danger, it's lurking ready to devour the innocent. Temptation and danger are always there ready to divide the sleeping church. The deadly duel is ready to cause the sleeping heart an unwillingness to forgive. They are ready to cause the sleeping tongue ready to cause the gossip train to begin and a sleeping mind to begin to doubt the validity of Scripture. Paul commands the Corinthian church, and he commands us this morning, wake up. Wake up. Be on your guard, church. Be alert. And let's be spiritually alive. Then Paul commands the church to stand up. Stand firm in your faith. Be immovable in your faith. You know, Paul's referring back to what he said earlier in chapter 15 where he says this. My dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. 
always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And the only way to stand up or to stand firm in faith is to be standing on the solid rock, the unshakable foundation. And that foundation is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Because you see, Jesus, he is the only one that can save. No one else or nothing else has the power to save you but the power of Jesus Christ. Church, then and now, stand up in faith. Know the difference between what brings life to the soul and what brings death. Learn how to defend your faith in Jesus Christ. The world has questions The world doubts the reality of Jesus Christ. So stand firm, stand up, be unmovable in your faith and give a reason in season and out of season for the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Then Paul says to us this morning, he says, it's time to grow up. Grow up, church. Be courageous. Paul is referring back to what he said in chapter three where he says this, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. Then he repeats that again in chapter 14, verse 20, where he says, Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regards to evil, yeah, be infants. But in your thinking, be adults. Chuck Swindle, he puts it this way, and I kind of like it. He says this, They needed to set aside their fussiness, whining, and complaining, and instead progress towards maturity in Christ. But they had failed to shed their dependence on the blankies, the bottles, the binkies that had soothed them in their baby Christian days. That's kind of good. The church of Corinthians and the church of today needs to grow up, and we need to start acting like adults. We need to take matters seriously, and we need to lead. We need to march into battle with the full armor of God so that we can stand against the devil's schemes. So church, stand firm. We need to grow up, and we need to wrap tightly around our waist the belt of truth with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with our feet prepared with the readiness of the gospel of peace. And in addition to this, we need to wake up and and take the shield of faith so that we can extinguish the flames of the evil one. And then we need to put on the helmet of salvation in one hand. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and then we must go. And we must lead, bringing truth and grace, showing tough love, all the while showing unconditional love. Then Paul commands the church, he says, stick with it. Stick with it, people. Be strong. And the only way that we can be strong is if we pray it up to the Lord. It was if we give it to him. Paul is calling for spiritual, not physical strength. In the physical world, we might lift weights, so I'm told to get strong, to get some strength. But when we talk about the the spiritual world, believers cannot get strong on their own strength. We need the Lord. 
We need the working of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. We need to be diligent in our prayers, asking God to give us the strength to face another day, to face another challenge, to boldly face the challenges that are gonna come across or come against the body of Christ. You see, this type of strength comes by the power of God to our inner person, strengthening our character and our attitude and our affections and our passions that drive us towards good and away from evil. Don't try, please don't try to be the one-man show who's going to try to conquer the world for the sake of the gospel on your own because you will fail. You can't do it on your own strength. You need the strength that only the Lord can give. That's the only way that we can do it. There is no other way but through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It needs to be you and God. So what is the posture of the church? What should be the posture of every Christian? It should be to be before the throne of God with hands raised high in submission, with feet ready to march forward in the name of Jesus. So be on your guard, church. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. And do everything in love. And that brings us to Paul's final point in this letter. And that is this. The church is called to witness in love. We are called to be a witness in love. Verse 22 says this. If anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Come, Lord Jesus. Now is not the time for the church to be silent. Paul gives one last warning to the Corinthian church to not be a lukewarm church, to not be filled with lukewarm Christians, because if you are, you're going to be cursed. Being a believer in Jesus Christ is so much more than just pure lip service, friends. It is a transformation of everything we have. Our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength affecting everything that we have through the work of Jesus Christ, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. There is no such thing as Jesus and or just Jesus 90%. It's Jesus 100% for you. It's Jesus 100% for me. And it is most certainly Jesus 100% for everybody outside these doors who are not convinced yet that Jesus is Lord. Paul is warning the believer. And he's warning the unbeliever. Know your maker or be cursed. And for the believer who knows their maker... That is a call to action. That is a call to be a witness for Jesus Christ. See, you and I need to have the tough conversations in love with our lukewarm Christian friends. We need to have the tough conversation in love with our coworkers who use the name of the Lord in, in, as an emphasis point to ex explain something when they know full well that he is not their God. 
but he's yours. We need to have tough conversations with our children when we see that they're straying from the truths of Scripture. These are the tough conversations that we need to have in our society. These are the tough conversations that we need to have within the body of Christ because it is our job, it is our our calling to help people to love and to serve Jesus. This can be somewhat overwhelming sometimes, can't it? Eight months of hearing all of this. Paul's closing of his letter can be tremendously hard-hitting. His final words, they're significant. His final gestures can be life-changing, and so they should. Each one speaks to what has happened, and each one speaks to what will happen moving forward for the church. So as we close up this series on 1 Corinthians with the final call to be a witness for Jesus Christ in everything that we do, understanding that it's Jesus 100% for all of us, that we need to go with feet ready to share the gospel, to share tough love while showing unconditional love. I'd like to close with this poem. And it's a poem that my late grandfather wrote. I'm not sure exactly when my opa, my dad's dad, wrote these words, but these words, they've been somewhat significant to me and they they shaped who I am. And I pray that these words will also be a, a source of encouragement for you this morning. So hear these words that my opa wrote. The Lord added to their number day by day those that were being saved. Ministers of the word, church councils, church officers, you, you. Do you get the importance of this statement? You are only expected to do your work of preaching. The growth, it's in God's hands. Don't try to stimulate growth by your man-devised gadgets. Just preach the gospel without bending backwards for young or old. Just bring the old, old story. God will add daily. God gives growth. God waters. You sow and reap. It all depends on him. Master, Lord, God, triune. It makes your work easier, doesn't it? So give all your time to the job at hand, spreading and explaining the word of life. God adds, adds daily. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, a living example to us daily. Give growth, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord, come hastily. You've been listening to the latest message in our 1 Corinthians series, focused on learning godly solutions to the problem of sin in our lives. You can find more information about this series and our church's ministry at gatewaycrc.org. I'm Jason McNabb. Please join us next time on the weekly sermon at Gateway.